What a friend for sinners, Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior, strength and weakness let me hide myself in him tempted tried and sometimes failing he my strength my victory wins hallelujah what a savior hallelujah what a friend Say is a flow that makes me 
joys all bright heaven's sun heart of my own heart whatever
How great Thou art, how great Thou art. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, with joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim my God how great thou art then sings my soul my Savior God to thee how great thou art how great thou art then sings my soul my Savior God to thee how great thou art, how great thou
I want to welcome you all to the Celebration of Life service of Robert DeWitt. And I want to thank you for your, your attendance here and the support and the prayers that you have given to the family. And would you pray with me as we open this morning? God, we stand firm again upon the rock of Jesus Christ, our hope and our salvation. 
And yet, God, even in a difficult day, we cling to your promise of peace and to your promise of joy amidst grief and amidst sadness. May we find hope again today, God, in the resurrection of Christ. May our lives be founded again upon the words of the gospel. And God, we pray that your comfort and your peace would be experienced with great power and strength this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would like to invite you to sing with me this morning within the program that you received on the way in. Uh, there's some lyrics for a song I can only imagine. I invite you to sing this with me. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side, I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? Or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine I can only imagine when that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun I can only imagine when all I will do is forever forever worship you can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory. Surrounded by your glory. What will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? Or to my knees will I fall? I sing hallelujah will I be able to speak at all I can only imagine yeah I can only imagine surrounded by surrounded by your glory what will my heart feel will I dance for you Jesus or in all of you be still Will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? 
Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. Yeah, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. When all I will do is forever, forever worship you. I can only like to pay tribute to Robert DeWitt. I'd like to invite the grandchildren who will be sharing those to come and join me on the platform at this time. When I was growing up in this church, our family had a place that we sat every week. Back there in front of the sound booth, about four or five rows or so, that was the Vandenberg pew every week. We were all lined up there in that pew. And right be behind us in the pew just in back was Bob and Twyla DeWitt and their family. And so every single Sunday, we would gather here at First Baptist in Zealand and we would worship together. And it was a great blessing to have the privilege of worshiping with them every week. Now, attending church doesn't make anyone a child of God any more than going out and standing in your garage makes you an automobile. But I'm happy to say that Bob is a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. He had come to the point in his life where he had placed his faith in Jesus Christ and become a child of God through faith in him. And by God's work of grace in his life, his life was transformed by that faith. And he was a very quiet and kind and gentle man, a great blessing to those who knew him. And in a little while, the grandchildren are going to be able to share a tribute, a testimony to his life much more powerful than anything I could say. And their testimony today is not for Bob's benefit. He's already up in heaven rejoicing in the presence of God. He doesn't have any physical limitations. He doesn't have any pain. He doesn't have any sorrows. He doesn't have any worries. He is filled with joy. And nothing that we can say here today is going to make him any happier because he's already perfectly happy. But we've gathered here today for our benefit because we miss Bob. There's a hole in our life where he used to be, and we need comfort. And so we've gathered together today to comfort each other because of that pain. Now, I'm happy to say that God, in his word, gives us good reason to be comforted. 
if we share in the same faith in Jesus Christ that Bob has, then we can be confident that we are going to be reunited with him in the presence of God. We have a joyful reunion with Bob in front of us. And even though it really hurts, it gives us something to look forward to as we seek to get by day by day. And so I'd like to read from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 51 to 54. It says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption is put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. And so it's much easier to endure this time when we're apart from Bob because we know that we can look forward to a glorious reunion with him in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And now, let's hear about Bob's life from his grandchildren. Hello, everyone. Okay, we good? Okay, hello, family and friends. My name is Kelsey Inglesman, the eldest grandchild of Robert and Twyla. I come up here to tell you that not only was my grandfather my grandfather, he was also in my eye a, fam a father figure. Him and Twyla have done a lot for me over the years, more than anyone has ever done. They took me in when I needed it. It gave me a place to stay. They looked after me and did a lot for me, and I did a lot for them. I am forever indebted for all the things that they have done. My grandfather would be happy to know that his four-year-old four grandchild, my eldest, loves Johnny Cash. She knows all the songs, and I even had to go out and get the Christmas ones so she can listen to the Christmas ones in the car. She knows pretty much the five seconds into the song, she can tell you who it is and what song it is. And I always thought, you know, that was always special to me because I knew that was someone he loved too. And then on top of that... I remember the things like no one was allowed to ride his lawnmower until one time I thought it was the uh, end of the world because not only did I get to ride the lawnmower, but Jared did also. And I was very surprised because that was one day I thought I would never see. I also loved the moments of him sitting next to his radio, listening to his favorite station, the, um, God, I can't remember it now. The what? Yep, 
Bob and Tom, and there was also the um, some trader one too. He would be sitting there listening to it for hours and hours, telling you about all the things he heard on it. Or he would be sitting in his chair with his jacket on, and the house would be cold, and he would tell you just to get a jacket on. And I would say, okay, Grandpa, I'll do that. I remember going out to eat with him, and he would always say, you know, you get what you can finish. If not, pass it over. I will help you. I always remember at family get-togethers, he would have his trusty shovel. And I always told them, I said, someday I'm going to get you something that's going to help with your shaking. And he would always look at me, and he would always say, that's the way it goes. And then I would say it back to him, and it would be back and forth about three, four times until we both just looked at each other. I also remember him putting around the garage because I would be out there helping him too with all the tinkering he would do for this and that. But I was told I was only a certain amount of time to say my speech, and I said, you have never met the Koinga side of the family because it's like nonstop. But to end it, to let someone else talk, I will say that not only yesterday and today that me and him are wearing black because we don't wear it from the morning. We wear it for the sick and the lonely old. We wear the black for the morning for the lives that have could have been. And we were doing mighty fine, I do suppose, but just we were reminded of the ones who were held back. Up front, there ought to be a man in black. So for him, that's why I wear the black. Hey everybody, my name is Jared Diatalevi and um, grandson of Robert and Twyla, uh, here with my girlfriend Courtney. I'm really going to miss my grandfather because he was such a positive influence on my life in so many ways. Um, whether I was going through high school or college, I could always think about my family back here and how close we were and um, not only did the Lord build that, but my grandfather built all of that. So. I really thank him for making the family that I have as close as we are. And uh, one of my favorite memories of him was actually something pretty recent. Um, because as, as I was going off to college, for the first time my um, freshman year, and then my sophomore year, whether I was going to college for in the fall or if I was going to college from like a winter or a holiday, um, he would always be talking to me about girls and all that stuff. <laughs> and uh, he told me that I had to find a good one and take one home to the family. And then I'll never forget after he actually met Courtney over FaceTime. It was like a FaceTime call. But after he met Courtney in person, we had like another family get together down the road. And I just remember um, he wasn't very affectionate with like hugs and stuff, but I just remember that he was smiling and shook my hand, and he did tell me that I'd found a good one. <laughs> so I was like, all right. <laughs> um, other than that, there are all sorts of fond memories that I have, just like Kelsey had said with the lawnmower. <laughs> and um, we'd spent many falls over behind the house raking a ton of leaves, and um, it was very tiring. 
and sometimes we were so crazy we could get on each other's nerves but uh, it was all to help each other and serve each other and love each other um, so I, I always remember fond things like that and um, every time we had a family get together at our house he would always want to watch the six o'clock news so I'd be in the middle of playing Call of Duty or something on the TV, and he would have to kick me off. <laughs> He's got to watch his news. So, and I know he was very proud of the things that I was doing in high school and in college now. I will always love him and I'll miss him because I know that he loved everything that I was doing with the saxophone and guitar. He loved listening to all that stuff. And uh, I know he was very proud of me persevering through culinary school. And I never had the chance to make him anything crazy or fun. But I know that he's proud of what I'm doing or what we're doing. And uh, I know he's watching over what we're going to be doing for the rest of this journey. I didn't actually prepare anything because there's too much to say about him. Um, but I am Sarah. I am Dave's oldest, um, the first adopted one, as I'm hearing a lot. Um, oh, there is so much to say about that man. When I was thinking about it, I kind of felt like I was writing a comedy routine when I tried to write something. Because when I think about him, I remember him. Finding every healthy breakfast grandma tried to give me by pouring sugar all over it after he sent her away. And um, I remember, gosh, my last memory of him is going to be him sitting at that table about a week ago, not willing to join the family in the living room because he was going to wait there until he got his pie. <laughs> um, but I'm always going to remember what a positive person he was in my life, too. Since my wedding comes up in a few months, it's going to be really hard missing him because he and Grandma were the best married couple I could ever think of when I thought of Cinderella and Prince Charming growing old. That is what it was like. And when I think about how I want my kids to see me someday, how I want my grandkids to see me someday, I want to see. I want them to see me as loving, but hilarious as they were. And Grandma, I've heard you say so many times these past few days that you just don't understand why people were saying he was such a great man. He had a lot of flaws. He was cheap. I'm cheap because of it. <laughs> um, but he loved us all so much. And I think that's what we're all going to remember the most. My name is Todd, um, a family friend. I met Bob through Courtney, his granddaughter. This is his grandson, August. Every now and again, you run into friends that turn into family. And that's what Bob was for me. 
Over a short amount of time, Bob and I grew to be very close friends. Bob was an amazing man with a young spirit, whether it was singing along to an Elvis Presley song or offering a helping hand when you're, working on the, when you're in the middle of working on your car. He was an honest and hardworking man who had compassion for others. If he knew you needed something, he made sure that you had it. One of the most important things to him was his family. He couldn't express enough how much he loved his family, his wife, his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren. He loved everyone. I can honestly say that Bob was one of my best friends. I strive to be more and more like Bob every day because he created a beautiful family with amazing people. This isn't goodbye, Bob. So I'll see you later. Well, I think the hard part, or one of the hard parts is over, because uh, as far as I know, Bob DeWitt loved my preaching, because I must have shook that man's hand a hundred times, always got a smile. I was the last person to visit him, last pastor to visit him in the hospital last time he was in the hospital, and I was like a day and a half late getting there, and he still thanked me, man. He, he, he just adored me. Um, and the reason why he adored me is because I hang out with Jesus and I talk a lot about Jesus. I mean, quite honestly, um, I don't think he really cared much for my jokes or um, me uh, terribly too much as a, as a person, but he loved the fact that he and I both were just absolutely addicted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so um, he always appreciated a good word. Um, he always smiled at me. Um, one of the few people that I've known in this church that didn't have a single criticism for anything that I've ever said. So um, I think uh, you'll enjoy this here uh, this morning too. I'm going to share with you a message of hope, and um, I'm going to do it um, uh, from John chapter 3. It's the story of, um, of Nicodemus approaching Jesus in the night. And um, I'll, tell, I'll share with you a few verses of that, but um, what I really want to uh, do is share with you three things. And, and on that night, Jesus really did three things that were significant, three things that perhaps could occur here even today with you as a listener uh, maybe you've never been in First Baptist Church. Maybe you haven't been in a church in a while, or maybe you go to another church. But um, a very religious person is the one who approached Jesus. And so um, we all come from different backgrounds. Some of us come from very religious backgrounds. Some of us not so religious backgrounds. We come from different belief systems. We come from, from belief, different belief practices. Perhaps there isn't one united every one of us believing how we even orient ourselves or approach God. But Jesus, with Nicodemus, is going to call him on the carpet and say, hey, you're approaching me as God, and you've got the wrong approach to God. 
It's an unbelievably confrontational moment that, that uh, surprised Nicodemus quite a bit. So Jesus is going to do three things in this passage of Scripture. He's going to do something providential. Something providential. The Lord of heaven and earth, the all-seeing God, Jesus' complete divinity in human flesh, knew Nicodemus was curious. He knew this ruling member of the Jewish Sanhedrin, the top council um, of the Jews there in Jerusalem, wanted to approach him and wanted to get closer to him. He knew that this person who was an intense learner probably knew more about Judaism than anyone in his family, anyone in his tribe, uh, uh, any, anyone any, uh, even on that council, and yet was coming to Jesus for more. Jesus does something incredibly providential because Jesus makes himself available in the middle of the night. Jesus knew this was coming. I want you to understand that God providentially saw uh, with his sovereign, all-seeing eye, he saw this moment that was going to happen with Nicodemus. And as the story goes, it goes like this. Nicodemus, at night, approaches Jesus and goes up to him and he says to him, Rabbi, you must come from God. Because no one can do the things that you do and say the things that you say unless he were to come from God. And Nicodemus was very careful to say it that way. You come from God. He was saying, look, I know you're on God's side. You come from God. Prophets come from God. Great spiritual leaders come from God. He just didn't say, you are God who has come. And so it's a very providential moment because Jesus, who is God who has come, He's going to be alone with Nicodemus. There's going to be a face-to-face -face encounter with Nicodemus. I tell you, if God would just have singular face-to-face -face encounters with all of us on this earth, we might have a whole lot of things cleared up in the way that we think, in the way that we live our lives. I feel like I've had multiple encounters with God through other people speaking to me. I grew up in, uh, in the South around Southern Baptists, and so I heard a lot of preachers point up into the balcony of a church and say, son, you better turn or burn. But I also watched my wife lead my six-year-old son very gently sitting on the living room carpet to Jesus, telling him, telling him that God wants to take away your sin and God wants you to live forever with him. God loves you. I've seen those singular providential moments in which God really has that single individual's attention and reveals himself to him. And here Jesus is going to do that. Providentially, Jesus is going to do something very confrontational because right after Nicodemus says that, he says, you must come from God. No one can do the things that you unless you came from God. Jesus is going to say, I'm not going to waste any of your time, Nicodemus. He doesn't say, hey, thanks. Great. Now that you respect me, I know that I can teach you a few things. Jesus says, listen, unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God. How bizarre, how confrontational for Jesus to do this. How disrespectful to a ruling member of the Sanhedrin. Remember, Jesus, you're on their turf, hanging out there, do, doing your thing. How absolutely disrespectful for Jesus to do that, to, say, to state something 
to Nicodemus. When Nicodemus and his homies, they're in charge of telling everybody how to get to heaven and how to get to God. And Jesus says, unless you're born again, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus does something providential. Jesus does something very confrontational. Something that's incredibly important there. And today, this moment right here might be something providential where you take a moment to just listen to God speak to you through his word. And you hear from God, real truth from God. And it may come in a very confrontational way because the reason why Jesus said what he said to Nicodemus was everything that Nicodemus had collected, had observed, had learned, had practiced up until that point bore nothing on his condition with God in heaven. He Zero accomplishment. He came there blank to Jesus. And Jesus said, look, man, unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus did not understand that, that a trip to heaven or a journey to heaven was not religious acquisition or being a strictly religious person or a very religious person. It had to do with a supernatural change that had to occur on his insides by believing in Jesus, saving him from sin. So Jesus is going to go on to explain in this confrontation. He goes, listen, unless you're born of water and of spirit, you won't ever be reborn spiritually. He says, he says you know what? The wind, it blows, and you can hear it, and you can hear it sound, but nobody knows where it's coming from or where it's going to, but you know that it's there. And Nicodemus says, how, how can I reenter into my mother's womb? He says, he says listen, Nicodemus, Whatever is born of flesh bears flesh, but whatever is born of spirit bears spirit. Jesus is saying, no, no, you don't get it. It's something supernatural. It's something that, that I must do for you, Nicodemus. And he really struggles with this in this conversation. But Jesus had to bring him to that point. You know, we're pretty good at changing certain things, aren't we? We are. Well, sometimes we, you know, January's coming around, we'll make a New Year's resolution and we'll, we'll stop drinking soda pop for a while or we'll, we'll change this about our lifestyles. We make all kinds of changes and stuff. But it seems that even the most religious person that could have walked up to Jesus that night struggled with one change. With one change. And that was orienting himself completely to God through Messiah, Jesus Christ, through Jesus and Jesus was saying, here's the change that has to happen with you, Nicodemus. You've got to be born again. I got to hear a story about Bob being confronted by Twyla in 1962. And it was this. He, uh, he started uh, attempting to court Twyla. And I said, did he know Jesus when he started courting? She goes, oh, no. She goes, no, I, I told him if he wanted to date me, he had to, to go to church with me. Well, they started going to church, and here's the amazing thing that happened. Bob DeWitt, after being told he couldn't get Twyla until he got Jesus, Bob De DeWitt became a bride before he ever became a groom. Bob DeWitt became wed to Jesus, the scripture calls the bridegroom of all of the church, the bridegroom that will come again. 
And we will have, and, and, we'll, and the bride, we, all of those who are in Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, will be ready and prepared to meet with him. The reason why that confrontation with Nicodemus was so important is the third thing. Jesus did something eternally loving. The reason why it was so important to be confrontational at that moment is because the most loving thing Jesus could have done was to tell him, you do not know my Father and you don't know me. You must be saved. You must be born again so that Nicodemus would be prepared for that bridegroom to come and to receive him to himself. And so Bob, in dating Twyla, if you go out there and you look at some of those photos out there, there they are standing at Hudsonville Baptist Church, a bride and a groom getting married, both who were already wed to God through Jesus Christ. So Jesus does a very providential thing. He's ready for this truth moment for Nicodemus. He's ready to offer to Nicodemus the very truth that will trip him up, that Nicodemus will struggle with because he doesn't understand that he must be supernaturally changed, that we cannot live by law, we cannot follow the law. The Scripture says all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. But for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we have been redeemed through a new law of righteousness that has come to us through Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And Jesus will go on after he explains how the wind blows. And he says, Nicodemus, if you don't understand earthly things, how are you going to understand spiritual things? And then he goes on to that verse that we all know so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him, in him would have eternal life. You see, there are three things that could be very providential today, confrontational today, but eternally loving, the very best thing that God could do for you today. And that is to say, you got to be born again. You got to be born again. I'm going to piggyback on Todd just a little bit, that, that fine young man that was up here a few minutes ago. He's obviously been impacted by Bob's life. I'm going to go so far as to say he saw Jesus in him. He's been confronted by the truth of the gospel in another person, Robert DeWitt. So could, today could be providential for you. Today could be confrontational for you. T today could be eternally loving for you. But let, let, me give you, let me give you some peace and some rest. For five and a half years, I heard a preacher down in Charlotte, North Carolina preach directly at me as I sat on the front row of the balcony with my mom and my dad and my two sisters. And for five and a half years, I kept on saying no to that same offer of the gospel of Jesus Christ until finally I came to understand that I had to be born again, that there was no way I could outgood my bad, there was no way I could church myself into heaven, there was no way that I could lie to God and lie to my family and lie to my parents, there was no way that I could pretend anymore. I was absolutely helpless and I needed to be born again and turn my life over to Jesus Christ and I did exactly that. Bob DeWitt dated that little lady in 1962 because she was purty. All right? But she wasn't just purty on the outside. She was pretty on the inside. He 
he saw something supernatural. He saw something very attractive. Unfortunately, that lady said, you come to church with me. And he met the author of all beauty, the author of all life. His first, his first engagement to Jesus Christ. We, we do, we change a lot, but some changes are hard to come by for most of us. And I would imagine that most of us, even in this room, have probably heard something similar to this, maybe once, maybe twice, maybe 40 or 50 times. It doesn't mean that you aren't any different than Nicodemus and you're still struggling with that concept. Still struggling. What, 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 what does that mean? It simply means this. It simply means this. That you recognize, as I was able to recognize by July 21st, 1987 in my life, that I am desperately wicked, a sinner, that there's no way I can outdo, outwork my sin, outserve my sin, outgood anything, that I had to come to the conclusion that I had to be rescued completely by God through his son, Jesus Christ, and given a new life. The Bible says for those who are in Christ Jesus, they are a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. I've never known peace, rest, and the satisfaction of living a full life until I met Jesus Christ. Our eternities are banking on it. So I am so glad that God providentially in my life met me personally, confronted me with my sin, and did the most eternally loving thing he could do, reveal the gospel of Jesus Christ to me. And that's what Jesus did in Nicodemus. And through the life of Robert DeWitt, we honor him one last time. It sounds to me like he's preached 50 sermons to you in the way that he's lived to you. It sounds to me like you've heard all kinds of great messages. Here today, his legacy will continue to preach. This isn't the last sermon, but this is the sermon for today. Come to Jesus. Know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Be born again. Here's, get ready for this. I'm getting fired up, folks. I hadn't been able, to, I hadn't been in this pulpit in 10 weeks. All right? So I'm getting fired up. But, but here's the thing. I, funerals are an opportunity for me to talk with people a lot about Jesus. They are. They are. And I often go down there to that reception, and I have sweet folks that have never met me, and they, they can tell I'm a little fiery, and they like my little southern. You wouldn't put up with me for 52 weeks out of the year, but put up with me for a funeral. And, 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 and they meet me back there, and they say, Preacher, that was a good sermon. And I say, well, thanks so much. And I do exactly what Jesus did with Nicodemus. I say, do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? And kind of catch them a little bit off guard. You know, that's usually not the first thing somebody says. And they say, wow, you know, you, you kind of go straight to it. I say, well, I don't know if I'm going to get, that might be the only message I preach in your life. Might not get to see you again. So I really would like, like, like to know that. And, and that is the truth. I want to know that. If I can help you today find Christ as your Savior, and believe me, Bob is not in heaven going, What's he doing piggybacking off of my life? This is exactly what he would say. I'd love to help you with that. Today might be your day, your providential day, confrontational day, but eternally loved day in which you come to understand how dearly loved you are by the Father that he would send his own son to this world to take away all of your sins so that you could dwell with God eternally forever. You saw the gospel in Bob DeWitt. 
you heard the gospel today. Respond to it if you never have. And if you do know the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you know exactly how Bob would call you to live. Don't you? Praise God. Praise God. That Jesus providentially met with Bob. Told Bob exactly what was wrong with him. That couldn't be made right by Bob. It can only be made, made right supernaturally by God. And that Bob received Christ as his Savior. And we can celebrate that today when we pray. Our Father in heaven, we would ask that your spirit would work in hearts. That your word would draw wherever it need be. That even it would quicken us. Those who are followers of Jesus here in this room would quicken us again to come and to follow Jesus Christ. We pray even as this beautiful song is sung for us here now, that we would take the time to have a private meeting with you, God, just in our thoughts, just in our prayers, just to open our hearts again to you and to allow you to speak to us and render any decision you want to by faith in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. God, my
Well, I preached the second best sermon today. There were only two, the life of Bob DeWitt and the one I got to share with you. So came in second, not bad. Um, I would urge you to uh, stick around afterwards um, and enjoy the reception uh, with the family in our auditorium uh, down the hallway as you walk out and go to your left. We're going to try to make sure that we have the family seated first um, before we uh, engage there. Um, but uh, we're going to have just a brief committal here right now um, so that we can, um, yeah, have a moment of departure. And that's what this is, is a mo moment of departure with the body of Bob DeWitt. I want to make it very clear to you, Bob DeWitt is not here. He is with Jesus. He is in heaven. Um, but the body that was an instrument that God used to glorify himself for these many years, um, will make a departure uh, to the grave. Now, the good news is, as God formed us out of the dust of the ground and was able to give us life by just breathing into the nostrils of man, Genesis says. And so God gives life and he takes life. And uh, it is no problem for God to reconfigure these mortal bodies that we have and make them immortal, to take the perishable and make them imperishable, to take the imperfect and to perfect them unto glory. No problem for God whatsoever. But we honor even the body of an individual because it was an instrument of God's use. Bob smiled at you with those lips. He hugged you with those arms. He worked on all those little projects in the garage with his hands. He didn't speak a whole lot, but when he did, you listened, right? God used the body, and so the body is sacred to God. Think of all the good things that came through the hands, the feet, the mouth, the eyes, the heart of this man. So we dedicate even the body of the individual to God. And I'll do that right now. Father in heaven, just as you form man from the dust of the ground, we recognize to dust it returns, ashes to ashes dust to dust but for today we thank you God for the way that you used this body as an instrument of your glory and how in so many ways righteousness holiness goodness kindness gentleness emanated from this man thank you and we would pray that we too would use our hands our feet our mouths for your glory in Christ's name amen and so, at a funeral and at a committal, you don't preach to the dead, you preach to the living. Um, we are going to walk out of here, and we have God-graced time left. And my wife said it just last night, there's still time until there isn't time anymore. There's still time. There's still time for you to make decisions about your life and how you want to live it, how you want to relate yourself to God through Jesus Christ. There's still time to have that conversation about being born again. Come to Jesus here today. But you don't preach to the dead, you, you, you preach to the living. And that's what Paul said to those who were worried about some who were perishing. The church in Corinth was worried about some who were dying and Jesus hadn't returned back. And so he gave them that description that Pastor Tom read about exchanging the mortal for the immortal and the perishable for the imperishable um, and how we'll be clothed with immortality. But then he finishes 
that dialogue with this charge back to the church at Corinth and the charge that I bring to you today in verse 58. Therefore, my brothers, stand firm. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So three things. Stand firm. Don't, don't back down. Don't back away from what you know about Jesus. Keep on progressing as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. Stand firm, brothers. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Be eager to glorify God with your life. Always abounding, always abounding, because we don't know when that next providential, slightly confrontational moment might occur in which God uses our lives to impact another life for the gospel. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor is not in vain. I'm going to preach until my last breath, and I might, might not get to lead another person to Jesus but my God will get glory for it. Do everything that you do. Do it unto God. Give your life to him today. What do you say to the living at a time like this? Live. 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 Father in heaven, receive even the body of Bob DeWitt. We hope that in our bodies, we pray that in our bodies, we would glorify you so well. In Jesus' name, amen.